Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Kim Berry, the editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of this show. Hi, Kim. How are you doing today? Hi, Grant. I'm really well. And yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks. Not too bad. And definitely looking forward to today's uh, topic because uh, I have consumed some of these uh, finest crackers, uh, usually with cheese. Yeah, indeed. I I think there's a only a few people left in Australia who probably haven't had uh, one of the premium crackers that sat within this company or sat, still sits within this company, I should say. Today, we're talking to Todd Wilson, the former CEO of premium cracker company Gourmet Food Holdings, it was recently sold to Mondelez for reportedly more than $400 million. The story is a cracker. <laughs> see what I did there, Grant? Oh, ow, the agony, the pain. <laughs> I'll see myself out. Uh, Thank you. In that Todd and his business partners started with two startups, the gourmet cracker business and a seafood company. Uh, they started with four staff, one product line and four products. Within three years, the company had grown to 80 SKUs and outgrown its facility. So it sought external investment and in just four years after starting, built a 12,500 square metre facility that can manufacture 350,000 crackers per hour. Yeah, 350,000 crackers in an hour. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot. Uh, On eight production lines with six distinctive product types and 120 SKUs. There's a lot of numbers in that. Todd has always said that innovation, speed to market, quick decisions and risk-taking were core to the business. So, it will be great to talk to him today about that mindset and more. Welcome, Todd. Hi, Ken. Hi, Grant. You don't look like you're in an office. (laughs) Uh, Certainly not. No, um, home, home office. Absolutely. In a, in a, definitely in a new chapter for, um, for you and, and, and your business um, now, so I imagine. Absolutely. Um, trying to experience some uh, finer things in life that uh, perhaps when you're in the frenzied startup stage was, uh, was not possible, but uh, yeah, trying to get the balance right now, Kim. Yeah. So look, let's let's touch briefly on those early, the, on those early days. Uh, you started with the seafood business, and then and then the fine food cracker business. Tell me about how you decided what got you to those two. Yeah, great question. Um, I guess you know, sort of taking a step back, um, the assessment of of what we did, you know, as a partnership group. So so look up front. Um, you know, it wasn't just myself that founded these businesses. I, I worked with some very capable partners and, and, and together we started the first business um, in 2010 and, and, and really the methodology um, or the thinking around the startup was the same for both businesses in 2010 and 2015 and really it, it came about by us, um, I guess, identifying some inefficiency in the market or some category opportunity within the, the FMCG space in Australia initially. We, we always liked premium high-value foods. Um, we never wanted to play in commodities be, because we always felt that it would become about price, not innovation. So for us, we, we, we were always – we were looking for quite some time um, and then an opportunity arose, you know, in 2010 in the packaged seafood um, category we've seen a lack of innovation we've seen 
some global trends that weren't available in this market. So for us, it was a natural a, a natural start. You know, when we started with an import business, it was a little bit easier, a little bit less capital and lower risk. And I guess ultimately what we thought we could do is, and I think this is really important, you know, and I'd encourage anyone who is considering starting a business, whether in this um, industry or another, to, to think about can you make a difference? Can you lead and can you ultimately drive growth faster than your competitors? And, and, and we believe that, which is why we undertook startup number one in 2010. And then, um, I mean, your background was in FMCG, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I um, worked in some large corporates, um, dairy industry, premium foods, um, and interesting enough, that's where the partnership group um, met and first worked together. And, and uh, you know, I met my first two partners working side by side with them in large corporates. Um, and, you know, the category that we started in, the packaged seafood category, was one that we'd all worked in together. And I guess we knew it relatively well. I guess we knew the retailers as well and the retailers knew us. So there was a propensity to partner and, and get going and, and, and there was some sort of trust, I guess, amongst the partnership group and, and the retail trade that we could probably add value in the category. I think that's something that um, we often hear is that the real cornerstone of, of these of these projects, whether it's a startup or an established product, is, is the relationship that you have between yourself and the other co- components of the supply chain. So having that relationship with the retailers, you know, really holds you in good stead. I mean, for other startups, that's really difficult because of the very nature of being a startup. If they haven't come, you know, how do they how do they build that relationship from really from nowhere? Well, I think I think it's I think it's time and experience. I mean, I you know I, I quite often get questioned by young, enthusiastic, want to be entrepreneurs about you know when they should start. Well, my advice is always learn. Um, I, I think. I would have liked to be here maybe five or six years earlier than I am, but it probably wasn't possible. I needed to experience, I needed to meet people, I needed to gain credibility in the market. So in 2010, when we we launched our first startup, you know, we had some knowledge, we had some experience, we had some relationships. So it takes time. I, I think you've got to, be, got to be a little bit more patient than probably the average entrepreneur wants to be to avoid failure because I think, I think as a startup, you, you, you're risking a lot. You're leaving very comfortable corporate jobs. I mean, I had I had some some quite large roles, and my career was progressing well, as as was my other partners in, in different in in different sort of companies and and functions. But the point is, you're leaving a lot of comfort and reliability behind. So I think at the point when you you start up, you want to enhance your chance of success because. I think if we didn't get through number one um, and number one failed, reasonably certain number two wouldn't have happened. So I, I think I think timing is really important. Uh, so timing's one obviously key. You talked about how you know you sh- need to be asking yourself if if you can you can make a difference. What are some of the other ways you assess those opportunities? Uh, look, I, I think you, you'll hear a lot of top tier FMCG firms talk about. We only want to be in categories if we can be a one, two, or three player. I think for us, we, we, when we're looking at startups, we're not looking at the mass, the, the massive categories because we can't compete against the big multinational corporates that well early on. But we were looking for categories that were a little bit smaller, a little bit more off the radar. But we didn't want to be two or three. We, we firmly believe we could be number one, and we want and we needed to be number one to get there, um, and then control the 
not control, but it's the wrong word, but and then be front of mind with the retailers around the category conversation and, you know, lead the innovation pipeline for the retailers. I mean, that's what ultimately they're looking for. Um, so we, we, we look for categories where we thought there was opportunity because current suppliers were not, we're not delivering that and that there was an opportunity for us to very quickly take that position in each of the categories. I think many people will, rem- will remember when OB Finest and Alina's Bakehouse sort of came came into the retail space and they were very unlike a water cracker or even like a lavosh and they were really a new concept, I think, for many consumers did you just know that there was a consumer, <laughs> a consumer desire for um, a, a heavier, more premium cracker with cranberries and walnuts <laughs> or cranberries in it? Oh, look, you know, one one of the things that we do, and and the deli, you're talking about our launch into into deli through the fine food business now, Kim. You've you've moved me forward a bit, so I'll take that as I need to move on a little bit, which is probably fair enough. <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> that, that was really the start of startup number two. It was we we seen again an opportunity in the premium cracker set within the deli category um, inside the major retailers. It was unloved. There wasn't a lot of innovation, um, and and that was startup number two, which was was a, was a little bit more tense and a little bit more was high risk because there was a significant amount of capital required to build a factory. So you know it, it it was it was a significant play and a significant turning point in our journey, um, particularly if we wind forward now and look at look at exit and and how valuable that business was. You um, look that that was again an opportunity that if was exactly the same as opportunity number one. There was a category that was unloved, lacked innovation, retailers needed a new entry entrant and, and in we come. The, the fruit and seed crackers, um, we, we named them specialty crackers, were, were not the first product that we, we launched in that category. We first of all launched wafer crackers, which are a bit more of a staple, um, but they were number two and, and, and that was a significant launch that really changed the dimension of our, our business as you as you'd say I think you know, many of your listeners would now you know have either the OB finest brand or the Alina's Bakehouse brand on, on a cheese platter um, they've really changed the market um, we've seen them overseas Kim um, oh, we're not creative people um, <laughs> most good ideas come from someone else's um, but I think that's well yeah that's true <laughs> yeah I, I think what we're able to do and, and not just with that product, but, but many product types that we've launched subsequent to then is commercialise it quickly, launch it, you know, use the word aggressively, but that's exactly what we do do. We, we launch really aggressive, aggressively in market and then scale it quickly um, because when you, when you launch something that's new and exciting, everyone's watching. So get distribution quickly, establish the product quickly, um, first to market. Um, capitalise on, on on that um, is something that we've we've tried to do time and time again. Uh, I know that when I came down to Melbourne for the for the opening of the f- of the factory, and and even then you were talking about um, some of these sort of key words that you've that you've been saying now about the innovation and about scaling, but about doing these things quickly, like doing it with speed. Almost, you know, I call them the roadrunner moments, you know, when it's just keep going, meep, meep, you know, it's just don't stop and smell the roses and bask in the glory of how successful the crackers, you know, just keep going for the next one and the next, the next development. 
I mean, obviously that's a business decision, but how do you maintain that? How do you maintain that that drive and that that innovative spirit? I'm a pretty energetic sort of person. Um, as you can see, you know, squirming around in my chair, fiddling with things. Um, <laughs> always like something going on. Yeah. Dear Jim, listeners, we told him he couldn't flick his pen. Uh, now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's flicking his pen. Um, look, Kim, it, it comes back to the, the people and the strategy and, and, and the strategy is not complex. Um, the strategy talked to our staff, whether it was the first hire um, back in 2012, I think we might have hired our first first person to when we started Fine Foods with four people, one production line in 2015. It's really simple. Um, it's We're going to innovate every week. We're going to innovate faster than our competitors and we're going to launch it and scale it really quickly and we just repeat, repeat, repeat. We don't get too complicated about business. We like it to be simple. And I'm just a firm believer that if you're leading the innovation in each of the categories in which you play in or you participate in, there's a good chance you're going to be growing the category faster than your competitors, which means you're growing faster than your competitors and you just do it time and time again. And we love it. Like we we like to win. Um, I think the whole partnership group, you know, that we put together brought, you know, really different skills to the table. But there's one thing in common that we all like to win. And bang, you tick tick a box, you've launched that product, it's growing you know, we expand, you know, we launch with one customer, we expand into others, we move it to new markets. So that that's just a playbook that we we did. And before one was established, we're on to the next one. It was just, it was a whole lot of fun. And, and when you've got momentum in business, it, it's a wonderful thing. It's sort of hard to get, but it's probably harder to lose once you've got it and once you've got momentum. And I think, um, is it fair to say that if, if that's what's driving at the top of the organisation, then it then it flows down through the rest. Yeah, yeah. No, look, I I, I think that's right, Kim. I mean, you know, our staff, and you know, we, we ended up with quite a few staff um, <laughs> at the end of this journey, a, a whole lot more than we probably ever thought we would have. But I, I think staff worked it out. You know, if I was walking through a corridor in the office or the factory, and someone wanted to talk to me about something that wasn't one of the top two or three or four items on the on the radar in terms of priorities in the business, they probably got a blank look um, and probably didn't get a whole lot of engagement. So I think people pretty quickly worked out that, you know, it's about, you know, two, three, four things, maybe no more that are really important at any point in time. And we need to nail those, execute them and 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 move on to the next next thing really quickly. And so there's not a lot of depth around business plan or, or these types of things. But it was a really, I think what I would say, it was a really well understood, simple set of priorities at any point in time that were well understood at all layers within the organisation. And, you know, look, it's it's the way we rolled and it, it worked out okay. <laughs> yeah, it did. So from where you're sitting now, what are some of the key learnings for you from from, you know, your experience to this point? Yeah, good, good question. And um, you know, I, I was thinking about this in advance of of this call because there's a there's a lot of things as you look back on a journey. And I'm still in reflection mode, as as you mentioned up front. You know, we we, we exited and completed the sale, of, I think, a week and a half ago. So you know, I'm, I'm still very much in in that in that place of trying to understand what actually happened over the last you know four or five years, particularly <laughs> um, for us to get here. 
yeah, but I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a, there's, a, there's a couple of things that I think I'd like to mention. I've never been a great fan of extensive business planning processes and documents that, you know, can take days and weeks and months to generate. I think a really clear set of priorities in a business that are well understood and don't necessarily need to be written down. If you're in a small business like ours with, you know, a few hundred people, um, it's easier. If you're in a much larger organisation, I get that's a little bit more difficult, but just just keep it simple. A one-page business plan is enough because you've got to be prepared to pivot. You know, you could write a business plan, and I've seen this happen in my corporate days that used to drive me mad. You'd spend so much time writing a business plan and then two weeks later a macro event would occur or, or, or a change in the market, and it and it's, it's irrelevant. Um, so really clear, simple set of priorities and ability to pivot and have your, your organisation structured to pivot quickly, um, which I think we did well. Fewer, larger opportunities and make sure everyone understands them. And if there's conversation or, or, or politics or posturing going on amongst your people, just stamp it out. I, we, we just didn't have that. We just didn't allow it. We just didn't create a culture where everything was about driving to priority and, you know, d- get me wrong it was always the priorities were driven around the earnings capability of the priority in the business you know whether it was a a cost out opportunity or mainly growth opportunities um you know i know that sounds like i'm a i'm a a capitalist and some of your viewers might go well what about um some of the other elements of business that are are important if not more important And, and i agree they are but when 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 you're in startup and when your own money's on the line and if the business fails, it, it gets pretty ugly um, and there's people relying on you. I'm a, a very firm believer that businesses have to be profitable and they have to be more profitable next week than they were last week. And if you've got a relentless focus on that, you can then use your earnings or the wealth that it creates to do some good in the world. And But business is there for the sole, not the sole purpose, but the the overriding focus should be to make sure the business is profitable and sustainable and and, and grow it. So I think it's focused on fewer larger opportunities and I I think we did that relatively well. So talk to me about the team behind this. The partnership group and investors, uh, it was obviously a successful team for you. Pick your partners wisely. Um, Make sure you've got different skill sets and always be honest with each other. Um, your partners are like your family in business. You, you, you're going to spend more time with them than your family through a journey like this one. And I think what I'm really pleased to say is that, you know, some of the some of the guys that that I started out with, you know, we were great mates um, when we started, and we've experienced something together now that you know um, is is a wonderful thing for us always to talk about and have a few beers and a few laughs over the years. But I think many of us now are, are even closer and, and greater mates at the end than we were at the beginning. And and I think that's something that's really important to me as I sit here and I'm in this reflection mode at the moment. So, you know, select your partners wisely and then, you know, be honest with each other on the way through. Uh, there must have been some bumpy patches through all of this. It couldn't have just been growth, growth, growth and excitement, excitement, excitement. So how did you navigate those times when you were moving so fast? Make mistakes quickly. 90, 95% of your energy needs to be forward thinking. I, I've sat through too many board or advisory meetings um, in my previous life where there was, for, for, for my way of thinking, too much focus on what, what went wrong or what happened in the past. We, 
you can't change it. Understand it. Review of the numbers um, for us under private ownership was really short and sharp each month. It was, um, wow, that was a pretty good month or it was an unbelievably good month or it could have been better or there was a one-off cost that we didn't see coming. Um, yeah, okay, well, we move on. <laughs> and and it was it was probably 5% of our time and it was a little bit more under the private equity um, structure. Um, there was some more rigour around review, review, but, you know, it wasn't over the top because we, we agreed that up front and because the business was growing so quickly, it was always about the future and, and always about what's coming next, not not behind. I think I think I see too many people spend too much time looking backwards, not forwards. Uh, the company's just been sold for a very large sum of money, but it did begin, as we said at the start, with four staff and four products. If someone listening to this is thinking about their own startup, what did it look like for you back then? And, and what are your key takeaways or your key bits of advice about that? I think for founders, and again, this is a conversation I've had with with people that are you know probably wanting to you know follow this path, and they don't always like this, but you, you've got to be prepared to work for less in a startup, and probably for a longer period of time than what you may ideally like. You have to be really frugal on overhead costs in startup, because most startups don't make money for months, if not years. Now, we were quite lucky the way that we managed the risk in the entry into both businesses and, and we had them on the positive side of the ledger, you know, probably in month three or four, both startups. Um, but you have to be prepared. But, you know, we took salary cuts, significant salary cuts than what we're earning in corporate. And if you want to build something on your own, you're going to need to do that um, because it's just impossible. You can't have best, best of both worlds is my view. So um, for some of your listeners, uh, it's it's I get that question a lot and you know believe you you need to do it you need to really protect the business in the early stages one of the things you mention a lot is risk and well most of us try to avoid that so talk to me about that how do you balance that out i think i think risk is a is a really interesting consideration a lot of entrepreneurs are really have really positive outlooks really think about oh how wonderful this is going to be but there's a whole range of things that can finish your dream at any point in time. So I think managing risk is something when you're in a high growth business like we were. I mean, these businesses doubled. Some wine foods doubled every year um, in terms of revenue. I mean, it was quite incredible sort of growth that we were we were delivering. The risks that come with such high growth though are, are vast, and um, the infrastructure is always following the growth. So, you know, if we if we looked at the business at any point in time, we probably should have had more staff. We probably should have had greater systems. We probably should have had a whole range of things that we didn't have. And you've got to keep an eye on those because, you know, those, those are the things, whether it's your debt levels or it's your focus on product quality or quality quality control in a, in a, in a food business. Make sure that when you're in a, a fast growth business, you don't lose sight of of the risks that can end your dream um, because they're always there. There you go, Kim. I think that might might be enough. <laughs> probably more. Yeah. Oh, yeah, probably more. <laughs> uh, so um, so what are you doing? What are you doing? What's next? Yeah, no, good question. Um, well, my, wife, my, my wife's put me out on, a, on at least a three-month um, rest and recuperate 
program. Um, yep. And I'm a week and a half in and I'm, I said to her a couple of days ago as we're going for a morning walk and, and <laughs> How I feel yeah, well, yeah. it's it's funny, I, and and you can read a lot of things about people that have been here before when you've you've built something and and it's gone quite well. And I, I feel I feel like I'm lacking a a little bit of purpose right now. So I'm I'm trying to find some hobbies, and um, I'm starting to tie. I'm a keen fly fisherman, so I'm starting to reacquaint myself with tying flies for trout fishing. Um, and yeah, no, it's, it's great. Um, not quite okay. the same as building this business. But, um, yeah, no, look, I'm trying to find some others. So, look, we're, it, it's great. We're going to spend some more time with family. Um, I've just come back from a, a trip to, to my hometown and spent some time with my parents who are, you know, are elderly and want to spend some more time with those guys. And so, yeah, we'll do some of those things. But I I love business. So, yeah, I'm on the lookout, you know, a core group of people that will probably come around with me again, Not not all. But some, I guess, of the partners. We obviously we're not interested in crackers and seafood. We we can't do that, and we and we wouldn't want to do that. We we wish the new owners a whole lot of success with the business. We think we've handed them the business in great shape with a, with a with a extensive growth run runway still to come. And and we're hanging around to help them with that as well. You know, in an advisory capacity. There's a lot of consumer brand loyalty as well. So absolutely, you know, there's some, some great brands. They're all market leading brands we've handed over. So they're the business in great shape, but. Look, I'd 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 like to do something again. I think Kim, um, and uh, we'll we'll just wait and see. And you know, maybe it's in in partnership with you know some other founders and owners that are, are trying to break through that, you know, from that small to to build it to medium size and and probably non exec um, sort of capacity. Though I don't I don't think I'll go in boots and all and, and run anything again. I think I've done my time. So, um, but. Happy to get involved with some some other good quality people uh, at the right time is is, um, is what's on the radar at some point. Mm. Well, that's very exciting. I think uh, we will we will watch and wait with bated breath to see uh, where Todd Wilson uh, throws his hat. Thank you, Kim. Look, it's really insightful and great to sort of get you know those real experiences and and what you've learned and and then sharing them with others is really um, appreciated. So thank you so much for your time today. No problem. Very delighted, uh, Kim. And um, it was a, it's a nice thing. I haven't haven't sort of spoken about the business a lot um, over the journey. So um, yeah, enjoyed it. Thanks for the opportunity. Fantastic. Okay. Well, thank you, Todd, and thank you, Kim. It's been a fascinating uh, episode here, uh, listening in on uh, surviving being an entrepreneur in FMCG and rapid startup and so on. So some great insights, really appreciated them. I hope the audience has as well. In fact, I'm sure they have. But uh, thanks, folks, for joining us for this episode. We'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative episode. But until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Food and Drink Business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au.
You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.